A story they're writing today A wall that they're climbing You can carry the past on your shoulders You can start over Welcome to the broadcast of Calvary Chapel, Jacksonville Where the pastor is Pastor Ricky Rueda Grab your Bibles and read along Now here's Pastor Ricky This morning, we are going to continue our time in Matthew chapter 9. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip there. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we will get one to you. Um, As always, we're going verse by verse through the Word, and so you will need your Bible with you. Um, But just a couple, just wanted to emphasize a couple things in terms of um, needing volunteers. The PCS this year has been fairly brutal on our congregation, and so I believe a few of you Probably got the email this week that we had no teachers for children's ministry on Thursday or Friday. Um, that was accurate, and we had a couple people volunteer to step in and um, fill a couple of those classrooms in. Thank you guys for doing that. But um, really pray about coming together and serving. Is a lot of our volunteers are, in fact, moving away. And so while they've already started to move, more are moving. And so please lift that up in your prayers. And then the other announcement, I'm not sure how many of you have gone online, but I'm sure you've seen we've had a pretty big website update. And so part of that update is we are moving our, te- our teachings and our archive teachings from being facilitated on our website itself to YouTube. And so if you want to be updated about teachings and different things that are going on in the church and want to go back and listen to things, um, follow us on Facebook, follow our YouTube page, and you'll be able to have all of that accessible there, and we do also have it embedded on the website as well. But if you're wondering why you're not seeing it in the same format you did before, it's because our website wanted to charge us uh, close to $40 a month for something that YouTube does for free, and so we weren't going to do that. Um, but with that, let's go ahead and pray and get into the Word this morning. And so, Father, we present ourselves to you, Lord, this morning. God, as we get into your word and we see the importance of our relationship with you, Father, and that our desires would be in line with yours, we ask that, God, you would reveal to us if there's any part of us that that isn't true, that, Lord, if there's any part of us that would be, Lord, like the Pharisees, we ask that you would begin to remove it now, and that, Lord, if there's any of us that just might be ignorant to these things, we pray you'd reveal them to us so that, Lord, God, we could understand and know your love even more. So we ask these things in your name. Amen. So <clears throat> with that, welcome again. Good morning. My name is Ricky. I'm the pastor here. And we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And so <clears throat> we're going to read through the section of Scripture here, and then we're going to break this thing apart. And so if you're in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, would you say Amen. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. 
Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so here, <clears throat> we get a really good look at the desire of God's heart and the desire of Jesus' heart, and one that actually gets misconstrued quite often. But it reminds us the importance of really understanding what it is that Scripture says and what it is that Jesus has for us. There's many times in life where I don't know how many of you have ever had this experience. Maybe this is you where you watch a movie and you get to the end and you're like, man, I had no clue what that was about. Or you get to the end of a movie with a friend or spouse and you hear what they say about the movie and you're like, that's not what that was about at all. How in the world did you walk away with that understanding? I know as I was thinking about that, this, we've, we've all heard many nursery rhymes growing up. If you haven't, um, I am assuming something, but I'm assuming we've heard nursery rhymes. But you have this one Humpty Dumpty, right? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. I think I was an adult when I realized what in the world that that thing was actually about. I just thought it was a, a turn of phrase, something fun to say as a kid. But then, <clears throat> it feels silly when you see that it's a parable about the, the dangers that come with a fall, especially that of a leader, that you should be cautious because there is, a, there is a point to where you can fall too far to where it's irreparable. I'm sure some of you are like, I had no clue that's what Humpty Dumpty was about. There you go. You learned one thing this morning. But that's just an example. We do this all the time. I know as we, one of the sillier examples, I'm sure if any of you have ever watched a series of Fast and Furious, you would know then that that's obviously a series about family, right? Okay, if you know, you know. If you don't, I'm sorry. But there's just things in life that completely go over our heads, and there's a lot of times when we get into Scripture and we walk away with an understanding and the wrong understanding because we choose to insert ourselves the wrong way or we choose to insert ourselves in the wrong place. And today, I know you guys have heard me talk about this many times, but as we are believers, as we are saints, it doesn't mean that we are in any less need of Jesus. That as we approach the scriptures, it is I promise it is safe to assume that you are probably and should probably be, be postured along with the person that is in desperate need and is in desperate, should have a desperate desire to be reconciled and drawn close with the Lord. Is that as we read through Scripture, it's really easy in our flesh and in our pride to look and say, how in the world did they miss these details or how did they get these things wrong? And assume that we would be the ones who have it right or who would have done it better. But I can tell you confidently as your pastor, and I can tell you confidently as a man who is also a fallen sinner, but redeemed, that we are most often not that person. <laughs> we are more often than not the one who should be in deep desire for the Lord. And to have Him reconcile and make well the things that we cannot. And so here in this section... We see Jesus interact with the Pharisees in a way that, every time, man, it gets me once every week, interact with a way that clearly indicates that they had missed one of the most fundamental things about God. That they had become so consumed in the religious acts of, we'll call it church today, that they forgot that God actually does have a desire for people. And he has a desire to see them restored and brought to salvation. But before I dive too far in, let's look at verse 
9 one more time. It says, And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And so here we have Matthew the tax collector. If you're reading through Scripture, you can also see another example of this in Mark 2, 13-14. I'll read that out loud. It says, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and as he was teaching them, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me, and he rose and followed him. And so Jesus is now acquainted with Matthew, the, the brother who actually penned this book, and he finds Matthew in a rather comfortable situation in life. Now, as I say that, I mean monetarily comfortable. Socially, it might not have been the most comfortable. Now, a tax collector in this time, and especially as Matthew was um, of Jewish descent, he would have been an outcast of the peoples there, especially because he was Jewish. And so here we see that Matthew at some time, I don't know how I didn't look into this, but we, we can talk about this later. Matthew has made a decision to align himself with the Roman authorities to receive the taxes, receive taxes from the Jewish people on their behalf. And so he would have already been assumed a traitor amongst his own people. He would have been an outcast. They wouldn't have wanted to share a table with him. And so there's a huge portion of the population already removed from fellowship from Matthew. He gets into this and he steps into a world that's all about money. All that matters is the income that's going on. And we can assume that Matthew is at least decent at his, at his job as he holds it here. But tax collectors were allowed to ask as much as they truly desired from the person, and they were allowed to keep as much as they wanted it as well. Scripture doesn't tell us whether he was an honest tax collector or not. Um, it doesn't say that he was one that was overreaching into the people's pockets, but no matter what, because of his position, Matthew would have not been well-liked amongst his own people. And as he wasn't well-liked amongst his own people, he probably would have found fellowship amongst those who were also not well-liked, those who were outcasts, those who were not thought well of. And so, while Matthew has a comfortable monetary life, we see here that there is something scraping at the soul of Matthew as he surrenders his life to Jesus so quickly. Now, I found this quote. It says, Most men live lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. There's something interesting about Matthew is that on paper, we would have assumed Matthew was perfectly happy, perfectly content. But at the word of Jesus, follow me. And remember, this isn't following some grand sermon. We know Matthew would have absolutely heard of Jesus, but... This isn't, fought, like, Matthew's not on the Sermon on the Mount hearing this life-changing thing. He hears these words, follow me, from a man who he believes clearly can repair something within his life. And so while Matthew is monetarily fine, he may not reside within the best bunch, he is clearly desiring something more than what he has now. And at the words, follow me, he abandons his current lifestyle for Jesus. 
The next thing I came across was A.W. Tozer said this, the best preparation for worship is not rehearsal, but surrender. In Matthew's despair and in Matthew's ache, whatever it was that he believed he was lacking, when Jesus called on him and Jesus said to follow him, we have to understand that Matthew actually postured himself completely in surrender. Matthew at this moment completely rid himself of his financial wellness and career. This was it. Matthew, like we talked about last week, we, our main point last week was is this question, is Jesus enough for you to be satisfied in being a believer? Is that there's a lot of people who've been duped into this idea that it's Jesus plus other things. But Matthew chapter 9 is showing us that it's not Jesus plus other things. It's Jesus and Jesus is enough. And Matthew, at the call of Christ to follow him, drops it all. There are many of us in this room who would pray for the kind of lifestyle that Matthew has at his fingertips. And he's willing to let it go because it's wholly unsatisfactory. And imagine the shock for a moment. Matthew being who he is absolutely knows who Jesus is, at least from a distance. I'm sure he's heard a teaching. I'm sure he's heard what Jesus has been doing. Jesus has been, become quite famous at this point. This man who isn't looked at fondly by his own people has been all of a sudden approached by Jesus. He's been seen. He's been recognized. Jesus stops at his booth to communicate to him, follow me. People don't stop at Matthew's booth to say hi. They're probably walking around his booth like trying to make sure they don't have eye contact with this guy. It's like, I can't afford to talk. I literally can't afford to talk to Matthew today. That's the situation he's in. But Jesus, this man who has been able to make everybody well he comes in contact with, comes up to him and in two words reveals to Matthew that he desires relationship with him. He meets Matthew where he's at in a place that nobody else wants to go and desires to be and lets Matthew know. And I would say that it should speak volumes to us. Jesus will meet you where you're at and let you know that you, he desires a relationship with you. Now notice Jesus doesn't take up residence in the tax booth, but requires that Matthew leave it in order to have a relationship with Christ. But Matthew does in fact let it go. And then in verse 10 it says, And as Jesus reclined at a table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. I think the main point here that we're going to look at is present doesn't equate to approving. Now, as we look at this setting, Scripture uses this word house and if it is a house, it's a rather large house. This might actually be um, some kind of dining area because it's out to the open. There's a ton of people in here. Everybody can see who's inside there. The Pharisees know who's in there, even though they're not in there. And so whatever, wherever they are, it's a big place, and it's wide open for everybody to see. This isn't so much an intimate setting like we've seen before when the paralytic had to be raised or lowered through the ceiling, but this is wide open. And the reason I have this point down is that this is a section of Scripture that progressive ideology and progressive 
doctrine tries to manipulate all day. As they try to paint Jesus in a light that is inaccurate for the benefit of approving their own sin and approving their own sinful lifestyle. So Jesus being present is not the same thing as Jesus being approving of a person's life. And that's okay. Because thank God Jesus was willing to be present in the first place. Romans 5, 6 through 8 tells us, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows us love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ is revealing His love in His heart for the lost. As He doesn't require these men to make their life right before He's willing to have a conversation with them. Notice that. When He speaks to Matthew, He meets Matthew in this place that He is probably not supposed to be. He's now dining in this place with a bunch of men who are of like mind. And He's being present enough to let them know that a relationship is in fact possible with this man. It doesn't say that he's going to take up residence. It doesn't say that he's going to build his house amongst them. It doesn't say that he's going to be best friends with them. It doesn't say that he's going to require them to be disciples. That's a totally different kind of calling. But Jesus is, in fact, present with those who need him most. And so the progressive ideology would say, well, Jesus resided with all kinds of people, and he ate with them, he dined with them, so clearly Jesus is okay with it. Okay, yes, we can clearly see, one, Jesus absolutely did eat, he did spend time with, he did communicate with, but he also gave us. And I'm saying us because, as Corinthians would say, as, what, as such were some of us, he did still give them a call to go and sin no more. We see two things being accomplished here. Jesus is revealing to the sinner God's care for them. And take note, because brothers and sisters, when Jesus gives us this call to go forth and make disciples, to go forth and evangelize and proclaim the word, a lot of times, again, we, we talk about these um, preachers and we talk about corner evangelists who are outside yelling. That's not, Jesus wasn't doing that. And, it, and I'm not going to say he didn't. But that wasn't his only way of evangelizing. This is a form of evangelism here. Jesus is revealing to the sinner God's care for them. So brothers and sisters, is there any part of your life where in faith you are allowing God to use you so that they could see God's love for them through you? When you reside and not reside, but when you walk in this world, remember, we walk in it, but we don't live in it. As we're walking through this world, do we live life in a way that would at least let the sinner know that God loves them deeply? He does cherish their heart. He does cherish their soul. He wishes that they could be called sons and daughters. And I know I've said this from the pulpit before. God does, in fact, love all of his creation, but he does not call all of them son and daughter. That's a different thing. 
Do we let the world know that God desires that they would be called son and daughter, that they wouldn't have to be, they were, their identity wouldn't have to be wrapped up in all the things they think it needs to be, but their identity could be found wholly, completely, and satisfactory within Christ? Are we revealing God's care for them? And then second, Jesus is reminding those that know God at least those who claim to know God, that this is what we're supposed to be expressing to the lost. And so I kind of got ahead of myself there. But I would remind you, and the reason I add this, this, at least those who claim to know, is that it is our obligation as believers. It is our obligation as Christians. It is our obligation as disciples. And I'm using three different words, but in Scripture, you're going to find no separation of the terms. You are a disciple if you are, in fact, a Christian. If you are a disciple of Christ, you are obligated to let the world know that Jesus died for them. That the Pharisees here, they're going to have this interaction that they clearly had missed this point. That they're on here, they're looking on to this interaction, they're looking on to this conversation, and they're thinking, man, what a strange thing to sit with those people. And can I tell you what? The church has this exact same conversation today. We do. Not here at Calvary Chapel. We don't do that here. We're perfect. But, you got one laugh. Man, relax, guys. It's okay. But we do. We look at people who reside with others, not reside, but are walking and evangelizing to them. Like, why in the world would you even waste your time with that person? Well, apparently Jesus' time was well worth that time, that person's time and attention, so why can't ours be? Whenever we see a celebrity claim to be at least leaning towards Christ, it's amazing the doubt that floods a comment section online. That person could never know because they're part of Hollywood. So are we assuming for a moment that Jesus can't supersede what they hear in the world? Are we assuming for a moment that prayer can't accomplish great things? Because I'm not saying we should assume that everybody's a believer, but we should at least move and hope that they would come to know the truth. And so brothers and sisters, instead of being doubtful about about what's happening, be hopeful and pray that God would be faithful as he has always been. Instead of writing off your family and friends, and we all have friends and family who are far from the Lord, instead of writing them off and assuming God can do no well with them, know that He can. And that Jesus would, in fact, at least provide them a dinner so that they could hear the truth. Are we willing to provide the dinner so that they would be able to hear the truth? Remember, it is the work of the Holy Spirit who brings somebody to salvation. That's not your job. Your job is just to proclaim it and to let them know that there is truth. Are you providing a place for truth to come from your mouth? And then here, because we ought to tread carefully as we move amongst sinners and doubters, is Jesus can also do what we cannot is we need to be prayerfully considered about the kind of ministry that we would step into. We need to be prayerfully considered about how much time we spend with those who do not believe what we believe and who do not believe that Jesus is Lord. Because while it is important to proclaim the Word of God, it is also 
not safe to reside in a dark place. Yes, we see Jesus reclining with those who are here. And Jesus is in this realm of around 30 years old, right? Jesus is around 30 years old and hasn't sinned yet. I don't know how old you are right now, but I would think it's safe to say that no matter how old you are, you've probably sinned once, right? Yeah? I got a few honest people this morning. You've already failed at what Jesus has already accomplished perfectly. And Jesus is able to reside, to not keep trying to use this word reside. Jesus is able to be in a place frequently in which we cannot because he did not succumb to sin. And you need to be prayerful and you need to be honest with the Lord and honest with yourself. Are you going into a place to where you can actually not fall back into sin? If you have a history with pornography and sexual lust, I would probably say praying for the strippers outside of the strip club is not your call to ministry. That's a ministry. It really is one, and God uses it, but that's not one for you. If you struggle with alcoholism, probably a Bible study at the microbrewery is not a great idea. I don't recommend that one in general, but if it's going to happen, you probably should not be there. I can go on with this list, but I think you guys get the point. Is don't put yourself in a dangerous place because you're trying to replicate what, what Christ could do perfectly. You're still not Him. Be wholly surrendered to the Lord and still be faithful. Jesus went and spent time with these people. However, what we're going to see in the next verse, actually, let's go ahead and read it before I say this. In verse 11, it says, When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus' presence leads to change. And this is where this progressive ideology and theology really falls apart because when Jesus inserts himself into a sinner's life or into a sinful situation, it doesn't stay that way. Jesus doesn't go into these places and say, all right, well, thanks for dinner. I'm glad you guys were really cool to talk to. Just, you're fine. That's it. No, Jesus goes in and he speaks truth and love to the individuals and lets them know that there is a different way a way that they could be made well, a way that they wouldn't have to be shackled by the chains of sin, a way that they could experience life the way that God designed them to live it, and then for those who were willing to listen, they would come out a different person. Matthew, the tax collector, as we just read, he meets him in a place of sin. He has this conversation, but he also says, follow me. If you want any part of what you know is true and are hoping is true, you have to be where I'm at because I will not always be here. Brothers and sisters, Jesus may be communicating with you right now, but if you want to have an abiding relationship with the Lord, you have to be where Jesus is. Because for the people who do not listen... For the people who ignore his call, for the people who ignore the fact that Jesus is in fact satisfactory and able, he does leave. We see in scripture that 
um, and I'm spacing on the town's name right now, but there was a town who wouldn't, they didn't have the faith, they didn't have the belief in Jesus, and he left. They missed the call. As we see in Scripture that those who hear the Word of God and reject it, Pharaoh being one of them, it says that the Lord hardened his heart. Romans tells us that as we continue to abide in sin, that God will turn us over to the desires of our heart. Listen. Not to me. Listen to the Lord. You have to be where Jesus is calling you to be. Because if you keep brushing it off and you keep letting it go, or you keep waiting for salvation to come the next day, there is a day it may not come anymore. Salvation is a free gift, but it does require us opening it. It does require us accepting it. We don't have forever. Jesus' presence leads to change. A person who has spent time with Jesus begins to love new things. One of the commentaries I read about, and if I don't reference this often, but it is a, they do a good job depicting this, is Matthew dropped his career path but kept the skill and utilized it for Christ. His, instead of penning the monetary debts he began to pen the work of Christ. And we're looking at it now. As Matthew was filled with a desire for his Savior. Matthew was filled for a, with a desire for the work of Christ. And you guys hold the evidence of the fact that something within Matthew was completely changed that day. When we spend time with him, it leads and creates something different. These are the two things that we see in this section. One, again, we get to see that Jesus has a love for all his creation. And second, Jesus' Jesus's presence only turns into abiding as a person begins to actually walk with him. Every person is given the same opportunity to have an abiding relationship with the Lord, but it is up to the person to choose whether they want it or not. And don't forget, every single person is in need of that opportunity. If you're sitting and reading a section of Scripture like this, and like, does everybody really need it? Well, you needed it. And just like you need it, they need it as well. So why in the world would we withhold something that we didn't deserve in the first place? It is quite hateful to withhold a gift of love that has been so freely given to us from somebody else because we don't like them. It is unchristlike to withhold so great a mercy as this one from somebody else because we don't believe they can be saved. And I'm sure as we reflect on our relationships and reflect on our lives, we probably know somebody who thought the same thing of us at some point. That relationship can't be made well. That household's a mess. He or she will never be able to come to know the Lord. I'm sure some of you know people stopped praying for you. But as God is as faithful, He provided you the opportunity and you sit here today. Some of you for having taken it and some of you have not yet. We're all in need of that opportunity. 
but there are few of us who take him up on it. And then verse 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Heavenly love equals heavenly desire. Jesus goes on to address the Pharisees. And spending time with him would do them well too. Now, as he's communicating with them, remember the Pharisees believed that they were close with the Lord. The Pharisees totally thought that they had all of this figured out. But they're looking at Jesus now communicating with the same people that they have been obligated, supposedly, if they had really been clinging to the word, communicating with the same people that they should have been communicating with. They're looking on at their Savior, and they don't realize who it is because their pride has blinded them and wondering, what in the world is he doing? Jesus is doing exactly what you are supposed to have been doing this entire time. And notice, a lot of times we talk about these rebukes that Jesus gives the Pharisees, but Jesus is so gracious with these men. As he encourages them to go learn and understand what he's talking about. What is it? I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous but sinners. He gave them homework. He didn't say leave. He said, if you really want to understand, go remember the word. That Jesus doesn't desire your false sacrifice. Jesus doesn't desire, or to them, he's saying Father and God. God doesn't desire your pious attitude. He desires that you would actually be humbly sacrificed to him. And as we are humbly sacrificed to the Lord, we would then be able to not just desire mercy, but portray it as well. Your piety may do you well here, but it will be lacking before the Father. And we've been talking about a parable a few times, and we'll get to it soon, but this isn't a situation where it's comparable to the men with the talents and uh, with their master. As we look at that parable, the master gives all these servants different tasks or different talents so that they could go bring a return back to the Lord. And two of them do well, and one of them hides it, just does absolutely nothing with it. This, the Pharisees are not the one who is doing nothing with their talents. What the Pharisees have done, and I think it's a caution to us today, and it should be a caution to every man and every woman, and it should be a caution to every church, is that what they have done is that they have taken the talents bestowed upon them by the Lord and have, at this point, had no intention to return any of it to the Lord is that they have been given a gift, the opportunity to know the Lord's word well and to point the people to God and instead been striving to attain and retain fame within their own community. And how do we know that? Their purpose was to keep their eyes focused on God and to help others do that as well. This included keeping their eyes, a watchful eye on the arrival of the Messiah. Remember, as we're reading through the book of Matthew, this is specifically a letter to the Jewish people that they would see that Jesus is, in fact, the prophesied Messiah that they have been waiting on all these hundreds of years. The Messiah is standing in front of them. And in all of these interactions, very rarely do we see a Pharisee willing to admit that 
oh man, this is who we've been waiting for. Instead of evaluating and going back to Scripture and seeing Jesus bring the Word of God to life in front of them, they're so busy trying to not lose their own, we'll call it a congregation for a moment, that they're completely unable to see who it is that they have been watching for this entire time. They're so busy trying to make sure that, they're, that they don't lose funds of giving for themselves that they're unwilling to give God any glory in the circumstance and situation at all. Pride and greed has clouded their vision and they couldn't see God standing in front of them at this moment. You see, if they had, had been, if they knew who Jesus was and they had been truly watching for the Messiah, Scripture at this point in Jesus' ministry was very it says it very plainly that he is already him. But because they weren't looking for him anymore, they missed it. And if they had been looking, they would have seen who Jesus was, and the Pharisees would have been eager to say the least to spend every moment they had with Christ. They should have required anyone and everyone to be within earshot of everything Jesus had to say for every moment of his ministry. Because if they had been watching out, they would have known that every word Jesus said would have been the most precious thing they had ever heard and ever will hear until they are heaven bound. But instead, they question everything that he does, not so that they would know, but so that they could accuse. And in this, they missed the sweetest and most hopeful message they would have ever heard. They didn't see Jesus for who he was. They couldn't. In their estimation, Jesus was a detriment and a burden to the way that they do things. And brothers and sisters, again, as the people who we sit here, as we bring ourselves and we wonder, who are we in Scripture? I hope that we're Matthew. I hope that at the call of Christ, we would be willing to lay down whatever it is that makes us comfortable so that he would be able to make us well. That when we hear the word of Christ, we would know that everything that we possess pales in comparison to what Jesus has to offer us. But I won't use often, but sometimes we can be like the Pharisees and evaluate Jesus to be a burden. We can assume his word and his call on our life is going to be a detriment to the kingdom that we have built here. And let's be honest for a moment. Some of us who are older, we've put in a lot of work on this side of eternity to be somewhat comfortable. We have. I'm not going to take that away from you. If some of you haven't been working, that's between you and the Lord. But anyway. But we've been striving to achieve some kind of comfortability. And when we hear Jesus tell these men and tell Matthew, and tell the rich young ruler, if you really love me, sell all you have and follow after me. I'll tell you what, our culture has done a fantastic job of telling us that Jesus isn't worth selling everything. But Scripture says if you want to know who He is, you have to. And I'm not saying literally. For some of you, you might have to. If your stuff is your idol, then you may actually be required by God to sell it all. But if you can't consider for even a moment relinquishing any part of your lifestyle for Christ, it is not Christ that you desire. It is your stuff. It is your gain. 
And for some of us who are younger in here, notice I'm saying us in both because I still see myself as younger. And some of you who are younger are like, you're not anymore, man. Let it go. We're in, you are in, I'll admit it now, you are in the decision to where you have an opportunity to start building a kingdom now. Where you can begin to start laying the foundation of a very comfortable life. That every decision you're about to make, every business decision, every financial decision, every career decision is going to be, where in the world am I going to land 30, 40, 50 years from now? Well, I can tell you, if you don't ever prayerfully consider what it is the Lord has for you in your life, it doesn't matter how much financial gain you have, you will be in a miserable place. Matthew, our prime example. This brother was hooked up. He was set up. But he was miserable enough and desired something else and hoped for something else enough that at two words, he'd let it all go. And I'd encourage you, if you're younger and you're beginning to try to figure out what in the world life has for you in the future, ask Christ now what he has for you. Because one of the things that's really wrong is that we assume that following Christ, he's not going to be our provider in the future either. No, if Jesus is our provider right now, he will be your provider later. Well, what about my retirement? Well, as far as I know, Jesus still sits king on the throne. Your retirement's going to be fine. Well, what's going to happen with all of these things? It will be okay. I can tell you confidently as your pastor today, I have no clue how it's going to work. I just know it's going to work. Any honest pastor will tell you the same thing. And it's funny, we've had a conversation. I'll give you guys a, a little insight to one of our pastor's huddles. Is Two years ago, we had a conversation about this. The end of our time as pastors, as we get older. There are a lot of faithful men behind the pulpit who made decisions to strive for the Lord and never have, and they don't have retirement. They don't have anything set aside for them. And we were encouraged, like, hey, if you don't have to make that kind of decision, don't. Like, don't be foolish either. But do you know what all of those men sit in right now? On paper, their life's about to be a mess. But is their life a mess? No. It's not. The Lord has provided people to minister back to them in their time of need. The Lord has provided young men and women to help care back for them as they have cared for them. And what I would encourage you, if you live a life according to the Word of God and you minister to others, when you need to be ministered to, you will be ministered to. If you do the work of the Lord, the Lord will do a work for you when you need to be cared for. It brings to mind the work of Elijah. Elijah did an amazing, mighty work, but he had a fearful moment, and he ran. And the Lord didn't leave Elijah to die. The Lord sent ravens to bring this man bread. And as somebody who has sat in a house with no food to eat, I'm not going to say ravens brought us food, but food showed up at the door, and I don't know who did it. We didn't tell anybody we needed food. We didn't tell anybody we didn't have the money to pay our bills, but God supplied those things. 
And so here, the Pharisees are sitting here looking at these people, so afraid of losing their church, so afraid of being portrayed as something other than they were, terrified to touch the sinner that they would become something like them, that they have completely abandoned their call. And Jesus said, I desire mercy. Let go of your piousness. Let go of your piety. Let go of your selfishness. Life is not about you. You care for them. You proclaim the gospel. And so here, he doesn't charge them with that, but he, can, he sends them back with the homework and that if they were faithful, they would have seen that they had been unfaithful in their ministry. They desired a life a way of life that put their ideologies first. And brothers and sisters, I would tell you, as we've read just through this short section of Matthew 9, there is nobody who walks close with the Lord who puts their own ideologies first. It is Christ and Christ alone that sustains us. It is Christ and Christ alone that heals us. It is Christ and Christ alone that provides for us. And the Pharisees would scoff at this idea. I don't think anybody in here would do that aloud, but there may be some of you who in your mind have scoffed at the idea that God could supernaturally provide for your life. But I would say He is able. I've seen it. And I would actually say, if you've seen God supernaturally provide for you in your life, would you raise your hand for a moment? Look around. Keep your hands up. Some of you didn't know that that could be done, but all of these people can tell you it can be done. You can put your hands down now. No, put them back up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so how did we come to church today? Were we, are we comfortable and unwilling to relinquish the things of this world? Or do we come to church realizing that I'm lacking something? I don't know what it is. I have a hope. And let's be honest, if you came to church with that kind of hope, then you have the same kind of hope Matthew had. You came because you heard and are under some idea that Christ can do well with you. Matthew had the same hope, and Christ stood before him and said, follow me, and he completely flipped and healed and made this man's life well. And if that's you today, Christ has brought you here today to hear that exact same message. Follow Jesus, and it will be okay. You're right. The things that sit in front of you are daunting. They're unsatisfactory. You don't know how it's going to work out. But I can tell you, Christ doesn't want you to figure it all out. Christ wants you to walk with him, and he'll work it all out. So the final question, do we desire what God does? If you're an unbeliever, do you desire God at all? Because He desires you. If you've been walking with the Lord, do you desire what He does? Or do you desire the things of this world above your calling? You may not be called to be a pastor, but you have absolutely been called to be a minister of the word of truth. And you have been called to be a caretaker for those who are hurting spiritually and physically. 
That's our foremost call. It's our foremost, it should be our foremost desire. And as we read in Timothy, that even when they hate us, and guys, I'll tell you now, the people in the church can hate you. They can. But even when they do, you find your grace and your hope in the Lord so you would continue to strive. Amen? So, like we always do, we're going to invite some folks up to be available for prayer. But I urge you this morning, if you are like Matthew today, and you needed to hear, follow me, this is that moment. And I would also urge you, as Scripture says, you're not going to be given an infinite amount of those. I pray and hope that you would take Jesus for his word to follow after him and to let him make well what you cannot. And if that's not you, but you've been walking with the Lord and you are sick and ailing or hurting and you just need prayer, we would love to pray for you and over you. Because whether Jesus heals you or sustains you, he is good. Amen? And so with that... Um, Jerry and Cherish, if you guys could be to the left. Adam and Catherine, um, could you guys be to the right and I'll be up here. Let's stand together and pray as I invite the worship team back up.